Hello and welcome to another edition of Use of Force. I'm Mike Varley. I'm Jesse Hyatt. And today we're talking about a case that corresponds to our walk around Northwest Queens. It is also an instance of unidentified case, which we cover in our unreported shirt series. So this instance took place in the Ridgewood precinct of Queens. And Jesse's gonna read a little bit about the use of force report itself that the police put together on this issue. Right, so with these incidents that we've been referring to as unreported, the only reporting that we do find is from the NYPD use of force report. There's no news article or any other sort of online information about these incidents. So I'm going to read what was in the NYPD use of force report. On December 8th, 2012, at 2243 hours in the 104th precinct, two detectives assigned to the Narcotics Bureau fired at a subject who pointed an imitation pistol at them. The detectives were conducting a buy and bust operation and were attempting to place a suspect under arrest when the subject approached the detectives. The subject inquired as to what was happening and removed what appeared to be a black handgun from his waistband and pointed it at the detectives. The detectives both fired at the subject, striking him and causing his demise. The subject had an extensive criminal history, including more than 60 arrests, 22 of them felonies. The subject's felony arrest history included eight arrests for violent felonies and three for firearms possession. So that's the whole, that's all the information that actually exists online to our knowledge of this particular incident. Right. There is one article that we were able to find after a lot more digging that was written by the New York Times that seems like it might have something to do with this incident, but it's unclear. This article was written in 2015, and it is talking about someone being arrested in conjunction with a murder that happened in New York in December of 2012. The, a man named Brandon Woodard was killed on the street near 58th Street and 7th Avenue. He was killed by someone that got out of a car, shot him in the back of his neck and got back in the car and went away. And then three years later, they found out who the driver of that car was after reviewing security footage and, and figuring out who that person was. But they don't know who the killer was. And the reason that we think that it might be related is because this guy, Brandon Woodard, was involved in a narcotics transportation scheme, I guess is what you call it, where he was in LA and he was involved with flying packages of cocaine from LA to Queens through the UPS. And the driver was associated with this activity as well. So since it was narcotics officers that killed the unnamed person on December 8th in 2012. 
we think that there might be some sort of connection. Right. So we've reached out to the New York Times reporters and have yet to hear back. I did also try to call the 104th precinct. I called three different numbers and there was no answer. So that's basically all the information we have at this moment. Right. You know, something that occurred to me just now is I wonder if in this particular case there's something about the narcotics division and discretion which would make this case even more difficult to have news coverage on. Not that I'm suggesting that that's right or wrong, that the narcotics division would have some sort of extra layer of uh, confidentiality, but perhaps that that is a reason. Yeah, it makes sense. If they were doing, I mean, they were doing a buy and bust, which I guess to me references that they were undercover and they were, you know, pretending to be someone else wanting to buy cocaine and ultimately got into this situation where they ended up killing someone. So, yes, I, I agree with you that that makes sense that they might potentially be hiding the person's name that got killed for more than for more reasons than one if they're linked to other people that they're still investigating for example or if it's it's just linked to a larger undercover operation there's a lot of reasons why they might not want to release the name of the person that they killed right one thing that stands out to me about the use of force report and again this particular case we have no alternative view, which is, I think, critically important to any democracy that we have the ability to understand things from multiple perspectives, particularly when it comes to the people that are enforcing our laws, because they have a distinct advantage and potentially a motivation to tell a story that wouldn't get them in trouble or anything like that. Right, of course. And I think that is part of the reason why journalists and news and media are important um, so that we have at least multiple viewpoints even if none of them are neutral per se at least we have multiple viewpoints and we have ways to sort of piece things together to try and find the ultimate truth right but the idea that the this person that came to a drug buy with an imitation pistol is something that's kind of hard for me to believe. I mean, that doesn't mean that it didn't happen, obviously. And I'd be interested in talking to police officers that have experience in this division and how often something like that would occur. But if you're going so far as to do a, what I would presume is a major drug sale, but maybe isn't, we don't really have a, yeah. an understanding, you would go so far as to bring protection or you're existing in a state of desperation or like cognitive impairment or a supreme misjudging of the situation where you think you're gonna uh, shice someone out of a, a deal on drugs with just an imitation gun. Well, I also find it even more strange considering the person that was killed had three firearms possessions felonies prior to this mm. yeah. incident so if you've already had clearly he knows or th this person sorry I don't mean to gender because I don't actually know but 
clearly this person has had access to guns in the past if they've been arrested for firearms possession. So, yeah, it does seem strange that they would then have an imitation pistol, unless the previous arrests were also imitation firearms. Yeah. Yeah. I One thing I with respect to the gender issue, just while we're here, I think the use of force report uses his or he or something at some if point. It, Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. In yeah. this one, it do- it didn't. It did not? Okay. No. Uh, anyway, I would, yeah, I, that seems extremely strange to me that that would be the case that there was an imitation gun involved. Oh, actually, it does say him. I thought Sorry. so. Sorry. I, I was just reading through it again. That's fine. And anyone that listened earlier could, it, yeah, in the last. That's why I wanted you're to call right, it out. In the last sentence, in the last sentence, it does say yeah. him and his. Okay. Yeah. And I'd, I'd be, you know, there are never any names of the people listed in the report, you know, which I think makes sense. You probably wouldn't list that in every instance. But if they have all these charges against this person, it's not like it was a purely unidentified person. Right. They know who this person was. Right, absolutely. Well, I also think... And I they mean, probably knew in advance, like when they were meeting with them, what to expect and, you know... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's clearly a history. More than 60 arrests, 22 yeah. of them felonies, it says. They've clearly had a lot of interaction with this person in the past. And that, you know, that is something also that I am interested in discussing more and hopefully as we go through this, learning more and maybe having even someone that could discuss it with us because these use of force reports always point out the criminal history of the person that's been killed but it never points out the history of write-ups or lawsuits or complaints against the police officer right it never points out how long that person's been on the job how many times that person's fired their gun how many people that person has killed you know it only points out the criminal history of the person that actually got killed in this incident so it definitely feels very one-sided in that respect. And yeah, it also kind of feeds into our way of talking about criminals as these bad people where, you know, if you list, it is, and it, and it strikes me when I first read it, wow, this person has been arrested more than 60 times. That's a lot of times to be involved in some sort of bad behavior as we might think but then I also have to think about it from the other lens where this person's been arrested more than 60 times and under none of those incidents prior to them getting killed did anyone succeed in rehabilitating them to any extent right it just kept happening yeah which I mean is pretty strong evidence for the case that the system is not at all geared towards rehabilitation. It's geared towards a type of stasis that involves a lot of human casualty. Right. And we need to think that how we can improve the stasis, you know, it's always going to be a human system and there's always going to be errors, but this has gotten to a point where it's it's no longer tenable. And yeah. we need to start having 
conversations and thought exercises where we imagine a better system than what we currently have. Right. Right. Well, I think, yeah, this, the fact that this person has been, I assume, in and out of jail if there's been over 60 arrests, it speaks to the, the system itself, the system of prisons and the system of law enforcement and criminal justice. But it also speaks to the way that we treat people when they come out of prison, potentially, you know, once you've been convicted of a felony, you lose so many rights. Yeah. And you basically become only partial human. Yeah. At least how we define humanity in this country, with the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're in prison you certainly don't have liberty life or the pursuit of happiness to some degree and then when you come out of prison even though you've served that time you've done the punishment that we sort of think is so important here you're still you're still being punished you can't get a job you can't vote you can't support your family you can't interact with certain people you know there's all sorts of things that i also think I think need to be changed from a structural level, but I also think if we can all sort of change the way that we think of people that have been involved in the criminal justice system and remember that they're humans and remember that now they're, you know, hopefully we can all try and give people a chance to have a better life. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that wraps it up for this particular instance of use of force. If you're interested in the unreported aspect of this project, that is the t-shirt series that we did for the summer, you can look at it on our website. If you have further interest or have further information about this particular case, we'd be interested in hearing more about it so that we can share with other people and learn more. Yeah, if you have information about this particular case or any of the others or any sort of general knowledge about anything relating to what we're talking about we're interested in hearing from you yeah but thanks so much for listening take care bye bye